Welcome to the East City Wesleyan Church podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And if you would like to learn more about East City Wesleyan Church, please go to ecw.org.nz for more information. Now, here's your podcast. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Morning, church. This morning, today, uh, as you can see, our pastors are away, so we have a guest speaker, and uh, none other than Reverend James Chin from the Chinese United Methodist Church. Um, quite a few of you would uh, recognize him, and uh, he has been here before, maybe about three years ago. Um, I found out from him this morning that we have uh, some roots that are quite uh, similar. Uh, no, no, I'm not from East Malaysia. He's from East Malaysia, but I'm from Singapore. But our roots are from the Anglican background, and our wives were from the Methodist background. <laughs> so, okay. So, uh, with no further ado, I'll introduce Reverend James Chin. Good morning, everyone, and uh, greetings in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I also bring greetings from my church, uh, which is um, the Remira Chinese Methodist Church. And uh, it's good to be back. I was here actually uh, about a week ago uh, when, um, when your church hosted this event, Empowered. How many of you were there? last Saturday. Oh yeah, I see a few hands up. Yeah, I, I really liked the, um, uh, the event. Um, I had a great fellowship with uh, a lot of different people from different churches. Uh, we heard a lot of encouraging testimonies on that night. Uh, there was some presentation. Um, but what was most useful for me, uh, most helpful for me, was that that event reminded me again of the, uh, the great commission that all of us are called to. Like all Christians, all believers, we are, we, you know, we've got this calling to be on and about uh, Jesus' mission, and which is, uh, in many ways, uh, which is to share our faith uh, with our neighbors, to have this passion for the loss, if you like. And, and that's the title of my message this afternoon. So before I continue, I can I invite all of you uh, for a time of short prayer. Heavenly Father, like what we heard in the, um, the passage, that the, um, the harvest is plentiful, but 
the labors are few. So we pray, Lord, that you give us a heart like you have, a heart for the lost, a heart for sisters and brothers, our neighbors who doesn't have Jesus in their life. So Lord, we pray that maybe in some small ways, uh, this worship service, uh, this message can encourage us to have a more passionate heart uh, for the lost and also for those uh, who uh, desperately need, need to hear the good news of Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> so when it comes to having a passion for the loss, right, there's no better example than our Lord Jesus Christ, isn't it? In the gospel, uh, we see how Jesus seems to have this inexhaustible supply of compassion for the people around him. And most of the people he doesn't really know. You know, we read about how Jesus, uh, he longs for people to be uh, part of his kingdom, the kingdom of God. Jesus, he was pleading with people around him to repent. And we also read about Jesus who weeps, who weeps for Jerusalem. And perhaps the most well-known moment in the gospel, where we get a glimpse of Jesus' compassionate passion and concern for the lost is at the end of Matthew chapter 9. And that's, the, that's our passage today that has been read to you. Let's see if I could. What do I have to do to, to move the slide? Okay. Um, am I doing this or are you doing that? Oh, it's up to you. Okay. I'll, I'll just give you a wink if I want to move the slide forward. <laughs> Okay, well, just to remind us again, I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 9, uh, verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like a shepherd, like a sheep rather, without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into this harvest. See, Jesus sends out his disciples on a mission. It's because of his passion for the lost. And verse 36 tells us that he recognized that they were harassed, they were helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And when he saw the crowds, we were told he had compassion for them. So Jesus was nothing if not utterly concerned about the loss. In fact, his concern for them led him to pray or to pay the ultimate price, isn't it? So concerned was he for the loss that we find uh, Jesus in uh, a few chapters later on, in Matthew uh, chapter 26. Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he was praying, he was praying to his Father, he was pouring his heart out 
reconciling himself to the death that he was about to die. And after that, he surrendered himself to that death. He dies because he is the good shepherd that the harassed, the helpless crowd needed. And by dying for them, he gave them life. So at the end of the day, we know that Jesus cared for the lost because of the length that he went to serve them. Then there's also uh, the Apostle Paul. Uh, when I turn to the Bible, I see his example as well. Now, Paul too is a model of concern for people who are lost, people who don't know Christ. We see lots of that in different parts uh, of the Bible. But in particular, I want to kind of uh, bring your attention to uh, Romans chapter 9 and chapter 10, where Paul articulated the depth of his concern for his fellow Jews who wouldn't accept that Jesus was the Messiah. So let's listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 9. <laughs> Thank you. Romans chapter 9, uh, the beginning of that chapter where Paul says, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bear me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. So he's talking from his heart, his great concern for his people. Verse 3, I, for, I wish, for I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenant, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. You see, Paul longs so intently for them, his fellow kinsmen, to be saved that he says, I would rather lose my own salvation if it meant that many of his Jewish brothers would gain it. So he speaks here of his great sorrow and his unceasing anguish of his heart because some of the Israelites would not turn to Christ. Again, we see like Jesus, Paul, Paul has got this deep concern for the loss and it's proven how? by the sacrifices that he's willing to make in order that the lost may know Jesus. Now really, these are just some, some examples of what I see when I turn the pages of the Bible. But the model of Jesus and of Paul are enough to convince me that you know, people who know God's best People who know God best seems naturally to have a deep concern for the loss. What does that speak about us? So today I want to share 
right? Three things in particular, uh, three reasons that it seems to me that the Bible shows why. What is the reason that we should be very concerned for those who don't know Christ personally? Okay, the first reason is this. <clears throat> Thank you. Right. The first thing to say is that the Bible insists that there is a real distinction between the lost and the found. There is a real contrast between whether you are saved or whether you are not. You see, sometimes our prevailing culture kind of uh, tricks us or cons us to think, even sometimes subconsciously, that such an idea is you know, far too black and white, is far too stark, that really most people, we hear that sometimes, right? if not everyone will be all right in the end. Yeah, it should be all right. But really... You know, they will say the most, you know, the majority of human beings, they are good people. If there's a distinction to be made, right, it's, it's whether they go to church or they don't go to church. Right? But when we turn to the Bible, the Word of God, we find time and time again that, no, that's not the case what our culture tells us, but there is really, there's really a distinction between Okay? Those who are found and those who are lost. It is actually quite an unsettling black and white distinction. And it's not about whether you go to church or not. For example, at the end, very end of the Old Testament, the prophet Malachi uh, talks about the future. He's kind of looking forward to the future. And this is what he says. Can I go to the next slide? Yeah, we are there already. Yeah, Malachi. Uh, chapter 3. Then once more you shall see the distinction <clears throat> between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve Him. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all the evildoers will be like stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healings in its wings. In the Old Testament, and even in Jesus' teaching in the New Testament, we see this very stark distinction as well. Like one, uh, for example, Matthew chapter 25, the parable when Jesus talked about the goats and the sheep, and then how they will be separated one from each other when Jesus comes in his glory. That's Matthew 25. And also uh, in First uh, John chapter 5, this should be in the slide, uh, chapter 5 verse 12, where John says, whoever has the Son has life, and whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. 
It can't get any more clearer than that. And when the book of Revelation, uh, the last book in the New Testament, right, it kind of, uh, Revelation, if you like, is like it kind of rolls up all the teaching in the Bible and brings it to a close. And in, in Revelation chapter 21, it paints a picture for us what eternity is like. Right? And now, when you get to chapter 21, okay, it talks about the new heavens and the new earth. This great city that God is going to build for His people. And also God uh, promises that He will be intimately present with us in that, uh, in that place. So when we get to the end of uh, chapter 21, verse 27, it draws the unmistakable conclusion that not everyone is welcome into that city. Let's, let's uh, look at verse 27. Right? But nothing unclean will ever enter it. No, anyone who does what is detestable or false. But only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So despite what our culture around tells us, the Bible, the Bible has got this uncompromising assertion that there is real distinction between the lost and the found. And there will come one day when that distinction will be clearly seen, okay? It will be clearly visible, even though for now it's not, sometimes it's not very clear. And, the real, and there is this reality of this distinction. This is the very first reason why we ought to be concerned, my friends, about the loss. Our second reason that we should be concerned is because the loss will face a terrible and awful uh, time of torment. You see, one of the most graphic passages in the New Testament that shows this very awful and a very sad reality is the story of Jesus, where he talks about uh, the rich man and uh, the poor man. Right, the poor man, his name is Lazarus. So Jesus tells the story how both of them, the rich man and Lazarus, died. And Lazarus went up to heaven, uh, but the rich man, he went down to hell. And from hell, the rich man looks up. He saw Lazarus. He was with Abraham, the father of Israel. And we were told that this rich man, he was calling out to, to Abraham, from hell when he was in, in torment. And uh, let's read the uh, a, a verse there, verse 24, uh, what he says when he calls out to Abraham. He says, verse 24, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the, the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said to him, Child, remember that in your lifetime you receive your good things, and Lazarus in like manner received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. Verse 26, 
And besides all this, between us and you, a, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I've got five brothers, so that he may warn them lest they also come into this place of torment. Now here is a, <clears throat> a rather interesting, a rather unusual biblical example of someone who has got a passion for the loss. But this time it's coming from someone, right, who is uh, lost in hell. Right? And from, from where he is, from where he is suffering, okay, the rich man, he longs for someone to tell his loved ones still on earth how they might be saved from the wrath of God, which he is enduring. So we got this, a very graphic and also a very disturbing picture. And I think in some ways, when Luke wrote this, he kind of meant it to be kind of a story that kind of gave us this shock, right? And uh, how, how we see here, uh, Luke is trying to portray that Je you know, Jesus, okay, he is, he's not like what some of us think. He's actually, in this instance, very, very stark, you know. He's, he's very black and white, isn't he? So this story here is meant to remind us again very clearly that there is a hell and that hell is really a terrible place to be in. Right? Hell is for people who are lost in this life when they die. And of course there are other passages, of course, you know, which talks about this as well. Second Thessalonians chapter 1 is, also makes the, uh, the, the very dire and very terrible picture of hell very clear. But I think for now, Luke 16 uh, is sufficient, uh, sufficiently plain to establish the point here, right? That the lost will one day face terrible torment. And, and because of this knowledge, it, it ought to motivate us to have this urgent concern for the loss before it's too late. And because this is true, then the third reason for us to be concerned for the loss is also true. Can we go to the next slide? <clears throat> right. That if loss, being lost is so terrible, then being found must be the best thing there is. Examples here, Luke chapter 15, the parables of Jesus, there are three parables. It's on the screen there, right? the parable about uh, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and also the very well-known parable of the prodigal son. See, in each of the three parables, uh, we've got this dynamic of uh, someone or something that has been lost and then being found. So it is, if you like, a kind of a, a picture of God. God the Father who, who seeks out a lost sinner and then later to, to welcome him back into his kingdom with open arms. God who goes out of his way to seek the lost 
And also the, the most striking element that is common among the three parables is, is the joy, isn't it? The, the joy of the one who finds what is lost. We see the shepherd, right? He, he, he left his 99 sheep to go and seek that one sheep that is lost. Right? And once he found that sheep, I can imagine in my head he will do that victory dance. And also, you know, the woman, you know, he goes to, she goes to all the trouble and you know, cleans up all the house, turn on the lamb to, to find her lost coin. And when she finally founds it, she, she rejoices and invites all her friends to come to her house to celebrate together with her. <clears throat> and of course, the parable of the prodigal son, how his dad through a huge party, isn't it? When the son returns home. So it's a picture. It's a picture of our God. Right? The joy that he has. The joy of all the, the angels in heaven when one person is found. When one person is rescued from the wrath of God. My question is this. If the father right, is so joyful in this case, how much more joy do you think the lost son feels? And I think that there are some here today, especially those of us uh, who became Christian maybe later on in their life, <clears throat> You know, perhaps you can, you can still remember the joy that comes over you when you accepted Christ. When you know that your sins are forgiven and that you've been welcomed into God's family. And there's also some of us here, okay, we may recall, right, to that unique excitement we felt when someone that we know, someone that we love, someone that we have been praying for, finally surrender their life to Christ. You remember moments like that? And that is because, that is because there is nothing else in the world that is like being found by God. You know, if, if being lost is really as terrible as the Bible says, then being found must be the best thing there is. Amen? Yeah. So before I conclude today, uh, just kind of maybe just pause a little bit <clears throat> and uh, maybe just point out something that's maybe quite obvious here. Right. If there are anyone here today and you are exploring uh, what the Christian faith is all about, or perhaps you could be someone who has been to church for a long time, but you haven't yet have that experience of being forgiven and welcome into the family of God. Uh, you're still not sure whether you are Christian. Then I, uh, I hope I hope that the three reasons that I've shared. Can we go to the next slide? 
Yes. The, the three reasons that I've uh, I shared uh, for, about Christian caring for people like you, right? I, I hope that those very same three reasons, okay, uh, would also encourage you, right, to come into this fellowship with uh, the saving Lord, that, that it will inspire you to confess your sin, to repent and to receive Christ's forgiveness before it's too late. Right? So if you're not yet a Christian, these are three very good reasons, I think, uh, to become one. Okay? Number one, that there is a real distinction, my friend, in God's world between the lost and the found. Choose wisely. And because the future of the one who is lost without Jesus is terrible, awful, and also because, thirdly, being found. On the other hand, right, the other side of the coin is, right, if loss is so bad, then being found, you will find that it is the best thing ever. So if you're not yet a Christian, I would like to invite you maybe for the next couple of minutes to, uh, uh, to, to think about those uh, three reasons uh, to, to, think of, to reflect whether those three reasons are compelling to you. And if so, uh, maybe you can come and see me after the service. I can have a chat with you. Or you can go and see one of the church leader of ECW. But for the rest of us, <coughs> I'd also like you to kind of uh, stay with me for the next uh, maybe about five more minutes <coughs> as I try and draw my thoughts uh, together. Now, one Christmas last year, um, I uh, not only spent time with my family and my friends, um, but also spent time, usually Christmas time, uh, thinking about and praying for, uh, for people that I know whose Christmas might not be as, uh, if I might say, not as enjoyable as mine for a number of reasons. There was this one particular couple from my church, and uh, last Christmas, and uh, in, in particular, they were on my mind because um, the wife uh, was uh, diagnosed with a breast cancer, and, and she had to go overseas for treatment. Uh, she wasn't quite a resident in New Zealand yet, so she had to go back to her home nation for treatment. And her husband had to stay back in Auckland because he had to work. He was the sole uh, breadwinner. Now, while his wife was undergoing her chemotherapy treatment, COVID broke out in that country that she was in, and travel restrictions kicked in. So what started as uh, initially planned just a few months uh, away, that stretched to, uh, to more than one year, more than 12 months that the couple, the husband and wife, they haven't seen each other uh, physically uh, for that period of time. So I knew about their situation, I, and I felt, I felt bad for them. I, I felt very sad for them, and there was this deep concern that I had for them. I, I felt f compassionate towards them. And uh, <clears throat> so I, I prayed for them. I gave them a call just to encourage them, text them, 
And, uh, but then the days after Christmas, I realized something about myself that in some ways disturbed me. Because at that time when I was praying for them, I, I, I began to think that I couldn't imagine a, imagine a, a sadder uh, situation than what that couple is going through. But once, when I read the Bible, when I read Scripture, it, it really dawned upon me that that is actually quite a ridiculous uh, conclusion to, uh, to, to come to. Now, I'm not saying that the, the couple's Christmas Day uh, scenario wasn't sad. I'm sure it was, and, and I still feel deep concern for them, even up to today. Right? But what I'm saying here is that there are far sadder situations all around them. Right? Um, it's just that I wasn't very concerned about them. For example, isn't it not sadder by far that there are people who live near the couple or people who live near me or people who live near you who celebrated their Christmas with little or no grief, who ate and drank and were merry, and yet who were then, despite their apparent happiness, they were desperately lost. Is it not far sadder that the couple was surrounded by hundreds or perhaps thousands of seemingly oblivious, seemingly unperturbed people who are worshipping and serving created things rather than the Creator? Isn't it not sadder that those people, they are lost now. Our neighbors, they will be eternally, eternally lost barring the intervention of God's mercy. So is it not far better, when I was thinking about it, right, to be that couple? To be whether it's that husband who misses his wife, or whether it's the you know the, the wife who's going through a treatment, right? Isn't it far better to be them than any one of the other people? Is it not far better to be dying of cancer and having your Christmas being separated from your spouse? Yet. Yet to know yourself to be found and absolutely you got this assurance of your future, eternal future with God. So that got me thinking. That got me thinking that isn't, ultimately isn't that couple's scenario far better despite the difficulty that they were going through that Christmas than those who eat and drink and be merry and yet be lost. And I think the Bible tells me that it is. And yet what I've learned about myself last Christmas was that internally I was, I was so confused because I felt that it was easier for me to feel compassionate for the couple than for me to feel compassionate for my neighbors who don't know Christ. And not just my neighbors, 
Also my family members, my, my friends, people who I'm very close to, people who I love deeply, yet are living without Christ. I, I find that quite disturbing that, you know, I'll be, I've got more compassion for the couple than for people like that who are lost. And that's where I realized, that's where I realized uh, last Christmas that the concern for the loss, that passion for the loss is actually a weakness in my life and in my ministry. And that's why I was so glad to be part of uh, uh, this Empowered event last Saturday. Because during that time, it encouraged me. Encouraged me to, to see that there are other brothers and sisters in other churches who have this passion for the loss. And, and I wish to be more like them. So please, please pray for me. Pray that God will forgive me for my unconcerned heart. Pray for me that he will get rid of my confusion. And also pray for me that those three reasons for concern will be so much implanted in my brain and in my heart that I will find passion for the loss. I really hope that you will pray for me and I would pray that for you too. Amen. Let us pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, again, we want to give you thanks for your word. Thank you that we've got the uh, wonderful example of Jesus and the Apostle Paul and all the other saints in the Bible where they show us that those who knows you best would naturally have this heart this compassion for the loss. Pray the same for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.